in a number of different places over here in the, in the Bible, looking at a couple of different stories that are familiar to you. You'll know the story. We're going to look at it from the standpoint of the questions we've been, been discussing. But we've got a story of the birds and the bee before we get started. There was a um, situation my wife told me about a number of weeks ago, a long time ago, I guess, actually, somebody that she knew on Facebook. Uh, I don't see their post, but uh, she sees them. And she said that they had put up this question because uh, apparently a couple of birds had landed somewhere on their property or did something somehow, and they were asking God, what does this mean? What does this mean? What does it mean to have these birds in the, in the property? And um, it probably didn't mean anything at all. But if you ask a question like that, you may get an answer. We have to be careful about it. So I, I was out running this week, and as I was running, the most unusual thing happened to me. Uh, how many have ever experienced wildlife when you're out walking or running or doing kind of thing you experience? Well, I experience a type of wildlife I don't usually get to experience. And so I'm out there running on the 202 bypass, kind of a nice little stretch of, of spot there. And what got in front of me on this run was a bee, a fairly large one. It almost looked like a carpenter type size bee. Uh, it's a you know, good, nice and round body. And all. He's, he's flying in front of me. Well, I still kept on running, and he stayed with me. Stayed in front of me. If I got too much faster, yeah, I was going to run into him. I think he probably would have sped up or something like that. But Anyway, he's zigzagging around on the path, but stayed right there in front of me for a good, uh, uh, not quite a quarter mile, but a little bit less than that, and just stayed there with me, and then all of a sudden he diverted and went off another direction. Now, see, I could ask God, says, God, what does that mean that that bee would follow me? And I could get an answer. It just wouldn't be from God. See, sometimes we are asking questions that the enemy wants us to ask. Because if we ask those questions, we'll get an answer that God doesn't send. And that answer will send us off in the wrong direction. It'll do some bad things for our, for our walk with God, for the things that we have with God. We've got to be careful of the questions that we should be asking. I've seen a lot of wildlife. I've seen snakes out there on the, on the path. I know what that means. Get out of the way. That's what that means. That's just... I've got this uh, deer family that was around here all spring, and every once in a while they'd pop out in the path. And one time I ran on by them, and they were 10 feet from me and didn't move. Stayed right there. Little two little fawns, little mom. Stayed right there and didn't, didn't move. Usually they, they run off and they move, but that time they stayed away. Didn't mean anything at all. My wife, sometimes she'll see some wildlife come hopping around the back porch and says, God, just send it along for me just to cheer up my day. Not trying to get any kind of spiritual meaning out of it, just... See, sometimes we try and get spiritual meanings out of things that there is no spiritual meaning in. Some things just go on in this world. Well, we're talking about bad questions that we can ask of God. Bad questions have the distinctions of uh, dissatisfaction. I'm asking a question out of dissatisfaction, unthankfulness, impatience, doubt, self-righteousness, and have a tone of complaining. Good questions have elements of faith, patience, Contentment, thanksgiving. We all looked at Daniel and we saw that it's the content of our question, not our position in the body that gets our questions answered. God doesn't just answer your questions because you are a son or a daughter in the family. He answers them because of the content. We saw that with Daniel. Because of your words, I was sent. That was actually repeated two different times. Most times we're asking questions out of a lack of knowledge instead of letting our knowledge grow and asking questions out of that. That's where we need to go to. Our questions need to be born of knowledge and understanding. Get rid of the limits. We saw last week that the woman from the well, she was asking questions. Jesus was uh, giving her, if you knew who I was, you'd ask this question. But she was very limited in what she could understand Jesus saying. Sometimes, folks, we have limited our understanding. And we need to get that expanded. In Mark chapter 4, verse 35, it says, On the same day when evening had come, he said, to them, let us cross over to the other side. Now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was, and other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern asleep on a pillow, and they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still, and the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. 
But he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, Who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? So look at the question that they asked. Teacher, verse 38, Do you not care that we are perishing? Now, how many can see that that's a bad question? There's really nothing good in that question at all. But you've got to put yourself in this position. I want you to begin to see the question being formatted in their heads. That in their heads, they're beginning to formulate this question and come up with this question. Jesus is tired. He went and slept while they were going across. As they're going across, this big storm came up. Well, they're the fishermen. At least some of them are. They're the ones that handle the boats. So they took care of it the best way that they knew how. And they were battling the waves. When the waves started coming into the boat, they started bailing, whatever they had to do. But they're battling the waves and eventually got to the place that the fishermen were afraid that the, the boat was going to go down. The whole time this battle is going on, what would you be thinking if you were one of the disciples? Why is this happening to us? We're on a mission from God. We're carrying Messiah, the Son of God. Why is this happening to us? How come we're the only ones fighting this battle? Why is it that Jesus doesn't come up here and help us? All these, can you see this kind of stuff formulating in their minds? And begins to, to, to percolate until it got to the point that, and we've talked about this one before, when you get into the Greek, it isn't just, you know, they came up to Jesus and they uh, woke him kind of, Jesus? That's not what they did. They came on down there and they screamed and they jolted him awake. Teacher! Don't you care that we are perishing? Now see, the reason you got to that point where don't you care is because we began to formulate things in our mind that the master didn't care. How did that come? Because the enemy began to throw fiery darts. If God really cared about your situation, you'd be healed. If God really cared about you, you'd have a better job. If God really cared about you, you wouldn't be so lonely. If God really cared about you, your days wouldn't be so hard. If God really cared about you, this would happen. That would happen. And begin, in your mind, beginning to form things that should happen, that haven't happened. We begin to question, why did this happen? Why is this going on? And eventually we come to the conclusion that maybe God does care about people, but maybe he just doesn't care about me. Have you ever asked a question like that? Have you ever thought that God didn't care for you because of the things that were going on and the things that were happening? And we begin to formulate a question. God, if you really cared about me, I should be healed by now. I've been believing you for this condition. I've been believing you for this thing. And it's still there. And I'm in a lot of pain. I'm in a lot of discomfort. Why is this still going on? Why isn't it taken away? What more am I supposed to do? I've been standing on your word. I've been making confession. I've been believing. But it's not changing. And the disciples are in this boat battling the waves until it got to the point that they didn't think it was going to was going to work. And they gave up doing what they were doing to keep the ship on top of the water to go down under the boat where Jesus was and to talk to him. How bad does it have to get when you stop bailing water and you go down to the bottom of the boat? That's what they did. Had to be pretty bad. They think right now we're we're only minutes before this thing is taking us down. We might as well go and see what Jesus is doing. He hasn't come up on his own. We may as well go on down. That question has all kinds of of um, assumptions in it, all kinds of doubt, all kinds of fear, all kinds of unbelief. But here's the place that the enemy likes us to come from, and this is a question from the platform of fear. Fear. He wants to make us afraid. He wants to make us afraid of sickness and disease. 
How many have ever gotten afraid of sick? Well, what if I get that disease? What if that thing comes up? What if this happens over here? And generally, most of our fears have the end result of death somehow. I'm afraid to get sick because I'll die. Afraid I'll lose my job, have no money, starve to death, and die. <laughs> All kinds of things that, but it, that, that come up, but in the end, we, we fear death. We um, don't really need to. How many of y'all know we know where we're going? And we know where we're going is better. I've had people in, in church here over the years. They've asked me to, um, people don't usually ask me to do anything, a, a series on anything. They just kind of sit back and wait for whatever it is that comes up next. But they've asked me this, uh, this one. I said, well, I'd like to hear you do a series on heaven. Anybody thought that? Yeah. I've had a few people have voiced it. They said they want, to, want me to do a, a thing on, on heaven. I talked to God about it. I says, God, I don't think I want to do a series on heaven. Because every time I do a series on anything, you give me great revelation. You give me new revelation. You give me insights I never had before. Every single time I start a new series, even if it's something that I've already done, taught, whatever, you give me new understanding in it. And if I get any more understanding, any more insight on what heaven is, I am not going to want to be here. I just know it. I mean, as it is, I'm already teetering. The devil comes on you, gives you a thought. See that pain? It's going to be this and you're going to die. Glory to God. <laughs> and so that goes away. Yeah, don't, don't be afraid of it. I'm not going to die. Besides that, he's a liar. We all know. He tells you you're going to die here. Means you're not. Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Jesus made a statement over here in the beginning. Let us cross over to the other side. And we look at that and we say, yeah, well, that's not a big deal. I mean, people make these kind of statements all the time. Why are they supposed to hang on that? Because Jesus said it. Jesus has said some things in his word about us. And we need to hang on those statements that he's made. He said it. They should be standing up there, should be standing up there saying, Jesus said, let us go to the other side. We are going to the other side. We are going to the other side. And they should have stood on that. They didn't do it. They figured, well, Jesus wants us to go on the other side, but it looks like we're going to go to the bottom instead. But Jesus makes a, step, a statement, makes a statement, hindrances develop. How many have ever seen something God gave you revelation, great revelation on something in the Word of God? You read over it before, but all of a sudden you got revelation on the thing now. Oh, wow. And you see that that's truth for you, and so you embrace it, and then hindrances come. They begin to develop, just like the storm began to develop. And then a battle arises, and you fight and battle the hindrances. And if it doesn't look like you're winning, doubts begin to arise. Out of those doubts, what happens? What forms? Doubts always bring questions. Because as soon as we start doubting something, we begin to question Think of it this way. How many remember back to the days when you were in school? High school, college, whatever it might be. You're in school and you go in to take a test. And you take that test. You study for that test. You did everything you could to take that test. You took that test. And as you're going through the questions, you feel pretty confident about, oh, I know that question. I know that question. I know that question. You feel real confident about it. When you handed in that paper, you felt confident. You said, I know I got an A on that. I feel confident. I feel good. And you come out of there. And you're ready to go on to the next thing. But have you ever had a test that you took? Did all the studying? And they gave you the thing and it, looked, it felt like you didn't study at all. They asked you the first question. You don't know it. No, I don't, I don't know the answer to this one. They asked you the second question. And you don't know that one. How many ever watched that show was on TV? Are you smarter than a fifth grader? It's a great idea for a show. I don't know if they still have it on or not. I, we've enjoyed watching it a few times that we're, we were there. Uh, I think it's Foxworthy who uh, does that. Nice, uh, nice job he does with, with all that. And you, you look at that and you think, you know, first, second, third, fourth, fifth grade questions, they should be easy, right? Should be easy. And any question is easy if you know the answer. The only questions that are hard are the ones we don't know the answer for. And so if you watch the show, you see the guy and they, he gets the question. Uh, uh, 
fourth grade question, something on geography, and they say the question, and immediately it comes to your mind. Easy for you. Easy. E- oh, that's such an easy question. I know that one. And that person, you can see them in their mind. Man, I'm not sure. I don't know if that's in Europe or Asia. I'm just not sure. And uh, they're thinking. And then they got a couple of lifelines or whatever they call them. You know, and I, I think I'll have you eliminate some of them. And, and uh, yeah, the four questions, if you have multiple choice, two of them get eliminated. And I heard, heard one guy say this. Those are the two I knew it wasn't. So it didn't help him. He's still questioning what is this supposed to be? I have to choose between A and C. I don't know. I don't know. And you're, you're sitting at home and you're hollering, it's C, it's C, it's C. I know it's C, it's C. It's easy for you, but he, he's struggling. And doubts begin to arise. And so he finally says, all right, I'm going to go with A. Ah, oh, you say and of course, Jeff comes up and, you know, is that your, you sure that, is that your final answer on this? Is that the, the, the last thing you want? Do you want to risk everything and, and move on? No, you know what? I'm going to pull back. You, you can see the doubts begin to come up and questions begin to form. Well, it might be this. And questions form out of doubts, out of us not being sure. When we're confident and we're sure, it's fine. It doesn't matter how hard the question is doesn't matter how hard the situation is. I'm confident because I know the answer. Because I know what's going on. When we are confident that the Word of God has said, get to the other side or whatever it is that it said, and I'm confident that that's what it means, you can't knock me over. But when things come in, I was confident, but all of a sudden things are coming in and they're causing some doubts. Causing me to question that's what happened with the disciples. They began to question. And the enemy was, was then able to, in this area of doubt and questioning, able to give them the idea, Jesus doesn't care about you. Before they embarked on this voyage, do you think that any of the disciples would have entertained the thought that Jesus doesn't care about you? But now, just a few hours on the, on the water, in the boat, And they're entertaining the thought that Jesus doesn't care about you. In fact, they are not only just entertaining it, they are outright accusing Jesus of not caring. Coming right down to him face to face, Master, Teacher, don't you care that we are perishing? And this is the fertile ground that the enemy likes to sow seeds into. To get you to doubt that God cares. Doubt that what he said is actually going to come about. Doubt that you are on the right path. And he's going to get you to begin to form questions. Some questions for God. Some questions for the people around you. He's going to get you to ask all these questions. Now, I want you to notice this about the story. Let's go back over to the question again. Look at the question in verse 38. They ask him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Look at what Jesus does. Verse 39. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? Did Jesus, of all the things he did, he did four things. He arose he rebuked, he spoke, and then he turned to them and he asked them a question. In any of that, does Jesus answer their question? He does not answer the question at all. It's as if they didn't ask it. Because Jesus doesn't answer questions like that. In fact, he asked them a question. Never answered the question. Never answered Master, teacher, don't you care that we are perishing? He didn't get up and say, of course I care. Oh, come here, boys. Oh, come on in here. Let's have a group hug. He doesn't do that. 
He arose. He rebuked. He spoke. And he answered. And said. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful? Well, that doesn't answer the question, does it? It's asking them a question. Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? So he doesn't answer their question. He asks them too. Why are you so fearful? And how is it that you have no faith? See, fear will bring this kind of thing, thing on. We, the, the enemy wants to sow thoughts into your life to get you to fear something. To fear something. He doesn't care what it is. He just needs you to be afraid. Afraid of losing something. Afraid of getting something you don't want. Afraid of someone doing something to you. Whatever it is, he just wants to get you afraid. Once he gets you afraid, he gets you thinking about these things for, for a time. He can begin to sow in things that you would not have received before. God doesn't care. You're never going to get healed. Did you really think that the Word of God meant you would be healed? No. Nah. We begin to think and entertain these things. But that's not how it's supposed to be. Why are you so fearful? Apparently, he didn't expect them to be fearful, even in a storm. How is it that you have no faith? If they had faith, would they have been fearful? Way to get rid of fear? Get filled up with faith. That's how you get rid of fear. Stay filled up with faith. If you stay filled up with faith, you don't get fearful. The enemy's going to try and get you fearful, but he can't do it because all that's inside of you is faith. Fill it up with faith. That's what we got to do. If you want to stay on your diet and you want to stay away from desserts, what should you do? Fill up on good food. If you fill up on good food, then you don't go for dessert. We talk about this every time we go out, but how many have certain restaurants you like? They have great desserts. I mean, out of this world, fantastic, really good desserts. And you see the pictures when you're going through the menu, and you, oh, got chocolate and peanut butter and Heath bars and ice cream and, and just all kinds of stuff. You know? <laughs> Oh, look at, oh, look at that. I have got to save some room for that. And we think that. And then you order the food, and then you eat the food, and then what happens? I'm full. Oh, I'm so full. I really want that dessert, but I am so full. I can't eat that dessert. And so you walk away from the dessert. Why? Because you're full. Of other stuff. Hopefully good food. If you stay full of faith, there won't be room for fear. Just stay full. So the thing you can take from this is the best dieting advice is stay full. <laughs> I don't know if that will actually work in diets. but How many of y'all know a, a lot of folks, when you're dieting, they're not full. They're hungry. Well, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? They, they suppose respect, you know, teacher, master, whatever uh, word they use. Uh, but assumptions are made and a diversion path is accepted. Don't accept the devil's diversion path. Don't accept his assumptions. Jesus doesn't care. That's an assumption. Don't accept it. All right, let's go on to uh, Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Now it happened as they went that he entered a certain village and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. She had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. But one thing is needed. Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. So she's in there in the kitchen. We've talked about this 
story before, you're in the kitchen, she's working and she's working and she's working and you all know when you are working and working and some family member is sitting out there watching the football game, enjoying the conversation, the people that are over, and you are by yourself in the kitchen doing all the work. Thought comes, wouldn't you like to be out there talking with people? Wouldn't you like to be out there watching the football game? Instead, you're in here. How come so-and-so is not in here with you? Shouldn't they be in here with you? Yeah, they should be. How come Jesus hasn't sent her in? I don't know. Why hasn't Jesus sent her in? Obviously, Jesus doesn't care about you. He cares about her. Otherwise, he would have sent her in. Now, these folks have a relationship with Jesus. They're very close to Jesus. When Jesus came into the house... Is Martha thinking, Jesus doesn't care about me? When Martha sees Jesus, she probably embraces him. Jesus, so glad you could come over. We are so thankful that you came over to our house for, for supper. I mean, how would you respond? If Jesus came to your house for supper, would you be happy? Would it tell you that Jesus cares about me? He's over here at my house, sitting in my living room, waiting for me to get some food out there. for. He's going to eat the food I'm making for him. Oh, this is good. And as the time goes on, you begin to think about these other things. But when he first came to the door, if someone said, he doesn't care about you, Martha would have slapped him. She would not have have accepted that. And in just one, two hours, whatever space of time it was, now all of a sudden she is entertaining the idea that Jesus doesn't care. Just that quick. And a question forms in her mind that she eventually cannot contain. And she says to him, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Let's take a look at Jesus' answer. She even says, therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen the good part, which will not be taken away from her. Does Jesus answer her question? No. No. He does not answer her question at all. In fact, if anything, he made it worse. No, no. What Martha's, what Mary's doing? It's good. It's good. She's doing great. I don't think, if I was Mary, I wouldn't be getting up. Really, Jesus? I'm, I'm okay. All right, I'm staying right here. Jesus told me. Jesus said so. He said, stay right there. He said, you picked the good thing. Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. Worry begins to come in. Worry tries to come into our life. The enemy tries to get us to worry about things. And really, worry is just another form of fear. It's just another form of fear that comes in. We begin to worry about things. We think about all the things that can go wrong. I put this in your outline. Worry is a more socially acceptable form of fear. It's a more socially acceptable form of fear. But we're not supposed to have it. We're not supposed to take it on. Be anxious for nothing. Don't be worried. It's what the Word of God tells us. And it becomes a distraction from things we should be thinking on that would be beneficial to us. If I'm worried about a problem, how many of y'all know that can keep you up at night? That can distract you during your day? If you're at work, you can be thinking about the problem and not thinking about the work. If you're driving, it can distract you from your driving. It can distract you from taking care of the kids. You might be handling some, some uh, sharp instruments and maybe slip because you're distracted because the worry has pulled your attention. And Jesus says to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. And the worry becomes a distraction because we're not thinking about the things that we're supposed to be thinking on. We're not focused on those. And questions begin to form. Because I'm not focused on the things I'm supposed to be focused on. Focus on other stuff. Don't be focused on that other stuff. Come back to what Jesus said to be focused on. Well, that's an easy thing for you to say. You're not going through what I'm going through. Word of God tells us that Jesus was tempted in all forms such as we are. So it means he was. And he didn't give in. Don't be doing it. Don't, don't let yourself become distracted. 
we become distracted and we take on something like worry. How, when do you know that you are finished worrying about something? I mean, after five minutes? An hour? A day? Two days? When do you know that you are finished worrying about something and you put it to rest? You know, I've worried about that long enough. I think, I think I've done what I can do. And then just move on. No, the more we embrace that worry, the more that worry gets a hold of us. It takes over more and more of our life. Instead of us just embracing the thing that we can do and doing something about it. We continue to worry. Continue to fret. Get anxious. And we do something that has no bearing on the problem at all. Nothing. We just worry. Worried. I'm worried. And out of that worry comes questions. And what will Jesus do with those questions? Same thing he did with Martha. Same thing he did with his disciples. Nothing. I'm going to speak on something else. Jesus does not feel compelled to answer these questions from his disciples or Martha. He goes on and he points them in another direction. Martha, you're worried about so many things. You're distracted by so many things. All the time thinking on the wrong things produces questions that God will not even answer. So again, Jesus doesn't even answer the question. Turn over if you went to Mark chapter 8, verse 11. Then the Pharisees came out and began to dispute with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven, testing him. How do you seek a sign? Well, other parts of the scripture, I put it this way. They asked for a sign. You're going to keep seeking a sign from Jesus. You're going to be asking. And this is what they said in other parts of the Scripture. We have it said this way. Show us a sign. Show us a sign. One time Jesus said, no sign will be given to this generation except the sign of Jonah. So they're, they're looking for a sign. They're asking a question. Show us a sign. Show us something. Come on, give us something. You want us to believe that you're Messiah? You want to believe that you're somebody great? You want, to believe, you want us to believe that you're from the Father? Show us a sign. Show us a sign. John even had doubts about Jesus and sent word to him from prison. Are you really the, the Messiah? Are you really the one that God sent? And Jesus doesn't answer his question. He says, look, go, go tell John. The sick are healed. The blind eyes are open. The deaf speak. Tell him the things that are going on. But he, he sighed deeply, verse 12. But he sighed, Jesus died, sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Or surely I say to you, no sh- sign shall be given to this generation. So what's he saying? I'm not answering your question. I'm not answering your question. Because that's questions are based on faith. There's no faith in that question. Show us a sign. Yeah, I don't got to show you a sign. Verse 13. And he left them and getting into the boat again, departed to the other side. Now the disciples had forgotten to take bread and they did not have more than one loaf with them in the boat. Then he charged them saying, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of of Herod. So he's telling them this. He said, he makes a statement to them. He's trying to teach them something in this. Take heed, beware of the leaven of Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, It is because we have no bread. But Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, Why do you reason because you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive nor understand? Is your heart still hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the five thousand? How many baskets full of fragments did you take up? They said to him, Twelve. Also, when I broke to seven... For the 4,000, how many large baskets full of fragments did you take up? And they said, seven. And he said to them, how is it that you do not understand? So he just makes a statement to them. Take heed. Take heed of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. But you see, one of their responsibility was to bring along the food. It wasn't Jesus' responsibility. It was the disciples' responsibility. They were to take along the food. And they realized we didn't... We weren't mindful of that. We, we kind of let that slip. And so they're feeling unconfident right now because they have forgotten to bring something along 
that they were supposed to bring. They were supposed to have this thing with them. They were supposed to have bread. I don't know what else they were supposed to to be bringing on a regular basis, but one of the things was they were supposed to bring the food along because there was not always a McDonald's on the next corner. There was not always a you know, Panera Bread or wherever it is that you're going to stop and, and eat. They didn't have that. So you had to bring that food with you. And they didn't bring it. They just had the one loaf. And so they're thinking about this. They're mindful of this. They're mindful of lack. They're mindful that we didn't do something. We should have done it. I hope we can get through and, uh, and make it through with this with, with us not having that. And then Jesus says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now, how many of you would even think about bread with a statement like that? It'd be pretty hard for us to even come up with thinking about bread, but they did because it was on their mind. They had become mindful of bread. So mindful of bread that when Jesus tried to teach them something, they took it in a whole different direction because of what they're mindful of. You know why he said that? He said that because we didn't bring bread. He knows we didn't bring the bread. And he's, he's letting us know, I know you didn't bring bread. You were supposed to bring bread. You guys let me down. That's what he's saying. I heard it. I know what he's saying. And Jesus says, really? Jesus being aware of it. How did he get to be aware of it? Spirit of God probably made him know about what was going on. Why do you reason? Because you have no bread. Why are you even going off in this direction? When we had 4,000 people to feed, when we have 5,000 people to feed, how much did we start off with? How much did we end up with? And you think that what I'm teaching you, what I'm saying to you is because you have no bread? Don't you get it? Don't you understand? Don't you get from then, from Jesus, that he's expecting them to have a greater understanding than what they've got? In Matthew chapter 6, verse 8, it reads it this way, same passage. But Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, O oh, you of little faith, why do you reason among yourselves because you have brought no bread? Do you not yet understand or remember the five loaves of the 5,000 and how many baskets you took up, nor the seven loaves for the, of the 4,000 and how many large baskets you took up? How is it? You do not understand that I do not speak to you concerning bread, but to, be, but to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. So now the light goes on. They could have understood that all along, but because their mind was on the bread and they didn't bring it, it distracted them. So much so that they got a meeting that Jesus is shocked at. How many know, y'all know when Jesus is shocked that you got an answer, that you heard something, what? When he's, when he's shocked, it's, uh, that's not good. What? That's what you come out with? Come on. Now, we've done this ourselves. How many of you, you know, your spouse, your son, your daughter, hollers in for you to, to do something, but you're watching the football game? Or you're on the phone with somebody? You're distracted. You're thinking about, you're mindful of that conversation on the phone. You're mindful of the play on the TV. And they say something, and all right, all right, I'll do that. But you're not quite fully understanding what it is that they said because you were distracted. And you come up with something that you think was the meaning, and they say, what? Why are you doing that? That's not what I asked. Yeah, we do that sometimes. But we do it with God. God is trying to convey we are at a spot in our life. The disciples were at a spot in their life where they could receive this. He felt like they needed to have it. He spoke it to them and they came out with something different. How often does it happen for us that God is trying to protect us, trying to help us with what we're facing and he speaks something to our spirit and we hear it wrong. He's trying to speak something to us and we're distracted by the bee that's flying around in front of us. Trying to get the meaning of the bee. We come up with questions that don't really need to be asked. And that Jesus isn't going to answer. And we've missed what we should do. The last week we looked at the woman at the well. That there were things that Jesus said, you know what? If you knew who I was, if you knew what I had, you'd be asking me stuff. He even told her what question to ask. How much are we leaving on the table? Because I'm not asking God the questions that he's expecting me to ask. 
Can you picture God up there? All right. Here's this servant of mine. Here's Steve down there. He's, he's walking. He's grown in this revelation. He's grown in this understanding. He's grown in this knowledge. He is ready for this revelation. Let's, uh, let's send it to him. And they send it on down. And I get that revelation. And I come up with a meeting that's completely weird. And God says, that's what he got. That's, that's what he got. He can't grow with that. That's going to hold him back. That's, that's what he got. Here I am seeing he's moving, he's growing, he's doing some things, and I pour out a greater revelation for that stage where he's at, right, and that's what he got. And we don't get what we're supposed to get to receive. You see, our questions are supposed to unlock mysteries from God. We looked in the Word of God, and we saw questions that when they were asked, Daniel asked some questions, and immediately the answer is sent. Immediately, Gabriel is sent. Make him understand. Make him understand. God wants you to ask questions born of faith. Born of faith. Not born of fear. Not worry or anxiety, which is another form of fear. He doesn't want those kind of things going on. He wants you to ask questions based on the right things. And here in this part, in, in this section of Scripture, we see that they're asking questions, but they're based on suppositions. They suppose that Jesus was talking about bread. I'm not talking about bread. They had assumptions, suppositions, things that were in their life. We have sometimes supposed that someone was against us, that someone wasn't here to help us. We have sometimes supposed that God was not on our side. We have sometimes supposed that God's word is true for other people, but not for me. And once we begin to bring those things in, we are fertile ground for other thoughts to come in. We've got to fight against those thoughts. We've got to guard against those thoughts. We've got to keep those things away from us. Word of God says, whatsoever things are good, meditate on these things. And it gives you a nice long list of those things. You ought to go back and just check, how am I doing? Am I meditating on these things or am I meditating on other things? Am I meditating on what I don't have, what I lack, what I want, what I've asked for and haven't received? Am I meditating on my fears, my worries, my anxieties? Or am I going back and looking at the promises of God? Am I going back and saying, God, this is what you said about me. God, this is what you told me to do. Sometimes we have asked God that for help in situations. Father God, I have this situation in my life. I have this health situation. I have this work situation. I have this neighbor situation. Whatever it might be, I have these situations and I've asked God for help on it. And God has spoken to me and says, you need to do this. And he gave us the first step. Maybe he told you in that neighbor situation, just the, the inspiration came up on the inside of you. I want you to make a pie and take it over to your neighbor. I don't like that neighbor. The neighbor doesn't like me. I want you to do it. And finally, we come to the realization that God wants us to do it, but we still haven't done it. And then the situation with the neighbor got worse. You know what we do? God, I asked you about that. I asked you for your help on this. Now it's just gotten worse. What's God going to say? Did you do what I said? Did you do what I said? Some of us have had health situations. And God has told us some things to do. Change your diet. Exercise. Do this or do that. And... All right, I'm going to do that. Well, we started it. We did it for a week or two. Then we kind of petered out. And then we come back to God. God, this is, this is getting worse. What's God going to say? Does he do what I said? Now, a lot of times he just doesn't say anything. Because if you notice in the Word of God, he just doesn't answer the questions. He just kind of moves on. He's already spoken to us. I learned that from God a long time ago. If God answered a question for me and I come back and ask it a different way, he doesn't take to that too well. What, are you not going to listen to me? Well, I wasn't clear before. When I've seen something in the Word of God and I ask a question that's not born of that knowledge, you, got better, you know better than that. You know better than ask a question like that. The disciples knew better than ask a question. Do you not care? 
Martha knew better than to ask the question, do you not care? But they asked them anyway. And they got there in a very short period of time. Your questions you're asking of God, are they based on something wrong? Has the enemy put that question on the inside? And now you're asking God and waiting for God to deliver an answer? Remember the Word of God said, test the spirits? Because the spirits will come. They'll come along. They'll give you an answer to that question. Can you see this happening in somebody's life? The disciples come down to Jesus. Jesus, do you not care that we are perishing? Jesus wakes up and says, no. And goes to sleep. Well, Jesus wouldn't say that, would he? No. But there are voices in the Spirit who will say something like that. How many of you know Christians who believe that God does not care? That God does not love them? Yeah, they didn't get that way overnight, folks. They heard some things. What has God told you to change? What has God told you to take care of? What has God told you to put in your life? Put those things in your life. When you do that, God will tell you some other things. The enemy wants us to ask questions out of fear, worry, anxiety, and supposition. What will you do to resist? Now, worry and anxiety, they're basically the same thing. They're coming out of fear. So really, when we look at this, we only looked at two platforms today. I told you three. There's one to take a little longer to get into. Fear and supposition. We're supposing some things about God or about the Word, or we just have outright fear. And the enemy wants you to ask questions based on those things. What will you do to resist? Now, sometimes, just come to the conclusion of this, some of us, we just haven't resisted. And we've asked questions. We've said to God, God, I don't think you care about me. If you cared about me, this wouldn't be happening. This wouldn't be going on. If you cared about me, I'd have this. If you cared about me, well, first off, take time to rid yourself of the fear. When you go to God to ask Him a question, first off, am I fearful of something? Am I fearful of getting something? Of not getting something? Am I fearful of losing something? Am I fearful of dying? What am I fearful? Is there fear in me? If there is, you're going to ask that question out of fear. And that's not going to help. Get rid of the fear. How do you get rid of fear? Perfect love casts out all fear. Fill yourself up with love. Fill yourself up with faith. Get yourself full of that stuff. Can't put fear in it. Won't, won't happen. First John 4, verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment. How many of you all know that? We've been tormented by our fears. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. So first off, take time to rid yourself of the fear. Second, put to rest the worry and anxiety. You got worry and anxiety has worked its way into your life? Put it to rest. The Word of God says, be anxious about nothing. It's not a process you have to go through. It's just something you need to do. Be anxious about nothing. Go back up and pull down that uh, YouTube little clip of uh, Stop It with um, uh, Bob Newhart funny little little thing. But we just got to stop it. It's just that we got to stop being in fear. We got to stop being in worry and anxiety. We got to stop it. Nobody else can do it. Only you can. If you get that worry and get that anxiety out of your life, you're not going to be asking questions out of fear, worry, and anxiety. You're going to be asking questions out of faith, out of love. Reassure yourself of the promises of, God, of the Word. What has God's Word said? Reassure yourself. Go back and, and read those things. Go back to the Word of God. Well, I already know them. So, read them again. Brother Keith Moore was uh, teaching on healing. And he's telling about his first days when he was, he was taking over to healing school and doing some things in healing school. And he kept feeling like, I've got to come out with some new revelation. I've got to come out with some new verses. Because they know all, all the other ones. They know all the verses that, are, that I would come out. I've got to come out with some new verses. I've got to come up with some new revelation. And God told him, you don't need to come up with new revelation or new verses. They need to do what they know to do, what they got. That helped him out. Identify wrong suppositions. What kind of things have I supposed to be true that are not actually true? What kind of things have I supposed are right, are truth, but they aren't? What kind of things? I got to weed them out. How do I get rid of those? Lean on the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will reveal these things. Father God, 
I, I think there's some suppositions, some things I've got in my life. It's just wrong. But I need to clear them out. Can you reveal to me what they are? He'll do it. He will reveal to you what they are. Let him do it. Remember that story Brother Hagin told? He's uh, lying in the bed and hasn't been healed to where he got up. And he, he was uh, saying, God, if Jesus were to come down here in my room and he were to tell me, you're not in faith, I'd call him a liar. I know I'm in faith. I know I'm in a place of faith to believe for healing. I know it. And this came up into his spirit. He said, you believe as far as you know. There was more he had to know so that he could believe those things. And that would help him overcome. Let the Spirit of God minister to you. Let him help you. Because he wants to. He wants to show you some things. He wants to help you overcome. He wants you to come to a place of victory. He doesn't want you held back. He wants you to move it on. Would you all stand up with me? With every head bowed, if you're here today and you say, my Christian walk has been getting hard, but having difficulty, having difficulty moving in the things that I should be moving in, I'm asking questions of God that are filled with doubt, anger, worry, fear, anxiety, finding myself doubting the very things that are in the Word of God. And your mind has become a fertile place for the enemy to sow thoughts and to sow questions. And he not only has sown those questions, you've begun to ask those questions of God. And things have been getting heavy. You find yourself down and depressed, sometimes going as far as Martha and the disciples. God, do you not care? Do you not care? That describes you. Any part of it, but not to be all of it, but any part of that describe you and your Christian life has just been difficult. You feel a heaviness of walking through difficulty in life. You just know it's not supposed to be there. Would you raise your hand up? If anyone here, if you're feeling that heaviness, feeling those wrong questions that are forming on the inside of your, of your mind, getting into your spirit, we can pray for you. Still something you have to do at home, but we can pray for you. If you'd like prayer for that, just come on up here to the front. If you don't want prayer for that, that's fine. You can stay right where you're at. But if you like prayer for that, I invite you to come on up here to the front. Glory to God. Father, we thank you. We give you the praise and the glory for it. Hallelujah. Father, I thank you that you care about us the enemy try and sow thoughts inside of our heads that you do not care. He may cite examples, things that have gone on, places where we've been, things people have said, things people have done, questions that were unanswered, problems that continue to remain. He brings all these things to our remembrance and pronounces the judgment that God does not care. But we serve a God who does. Father, I thank you that you do care for us. In every situation that we're in, you care about. Sickness and disease, you care about it. Storms in life, you care about it. Loneliness, you care about it. Problems at work, problems in the neighborhood, you care about it. Our worries, our fears, our anxieties, you care about them. You care about us. And you want us set free from these things. Father, I thank you that we are growing in the things of God and we are set free. We give you the praise and the glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Glory to God. Yeah, we, our God does care. He cares greatly about you. Don't ever let the enemy tell you that he doesn't. Live your life like he does. You'll find that life will show you that he does care. 
surely will. Do we have any praise reports? They can be, they're coming up here in the... Next, um, next Sunday we have covered dish. We're moving it up one week because Marty's going to be here on the first Sunday of October, so really can't do covered dish on, on that day. So we're going to have uh, covered dish next Sunday. Uh, you know, normal things, just bring out enough food for your family, a little bit extra if you can, and that will it all works out here at the end. We're going to start uh, right after the service. We'll be done around 2.15, and uh, Wednesday night. I'm not sure exactly what direction we're going to go. They, uh, we're either going to start off a new series, or on my way home on Wednesday night, I asked a question of God on, on this. How many were, were not here on Wednesday and didn't listen to the, the podcast that we put up there? Anybody? Okay, then you don't, you don't know what we're, we're talking about. But on, on Wednesday, we were answering that question on the election. You know, what do you do if the person who's, who's running is not God's man or woman, and you don't like them? And you don't like what they stand for and so forth. What are, you, what are you supposed to do? So we went through the Word of God and we looked in the, at the uh, kings of Israel to see what made a good king and what made a bad one. And what we saw helps, will help us out in this election. There's, um, there's a key in there that if you, if you get the right, if you see the right combination of things, and it's really just one, one thing you're looking for, if you see that 100% of the kings who had that one ingredient we're good. 100% of the kings who had that one ingredient were good. 100% of the kings who did not have that one ingredient were bad. And it's not that God picked them. So we went through and we looked at, we actually, there was actually five kings that God picked. Out of those five kings that God picked, one was good, one was good, then turned bad, and the rest of them turned bad. Saul, Jehu, Jeroboam, they turn bad. So just being God's man is not enough to make you uh, successful. But there is an ingredient. So we went through and we looked at the rest of the kings. We looked at the good ones. We looked at the bad ones. And we saw something. So if you didn't get that, it's up there on the podcast. It's on the Wednesday night side. You can pick that up. So I asked this question of God on the way home. I think we might get into it Wednesday. I'm not sure. But just as I was driving on home, heading off the road, I asked this question. Why does that one ingredient make them good. Why does that one ingredient make them good? And the uh, application of that will help us all out in the, in the things that we're doing in our life, not just electing 
politicians and people in the places of office. So that may be the direction that we'll go. We'll put it up on Facebook, finish finalizing what's, what's going on. But that was just a question I asked of God. Uh, I expect God gives us answers when we ask him questions. So we'll, um, we'll get into that. That's going to be on Wednesday. Today we'll have the end times class. We're looking at the, some more on the book of Daniel. That's going to go on at about 1 o'clock. If you want to head on out and get something to eat, and come on back in here. We'll start that up at, at uh, 1 o'clock. And I think that is all that we have going on here for the, for the week. Have a great rest of the day. Hope to see some of you back here at 1.